You're listening to audio from the Mariner campus of CA Church, located in Coquitlam, British Columbia. We hope this message helps you grow in your personal relationship with Jesus. You all know that we've been in a series looking at these statements in the Gospel of John called the I Am Statements of Jesus. And right at the beginning, with all of the summer weeks before us, Pastor Sam got up here and he said, we're going to look at these for a very important reason, because we want to know who Jesus is. Not a Jesus that we make up in our own minds, but who Jesus is, what he's really like. And so we've gone to the source himself, Jesus's very own words, and each week we've been looking at a different thing that Jesus has said, has proclaimed about himself, and today we come to the final I am statement. And I'm just going to say it, I think this one is absolutely packed with glory and goodness. Jesus was awake, he knew what he was doing when he brought this incredible word to us today. Have you ever been to one of those big buffets? You know what they do? It's a pretty obvious secret, but they kind of line up all the carbs at the beginning. So when you, got, you got your plate, and they want you to take as many bread rolls and pasta dishes as, as you can, so that when you get to the end, uh, there's not much room left on the plate for those crab legs. You know what I'm saying? There's not enough room left for the beef. Well, this passage from Jesus today, there's no filler. There's no, there's no buns. There's no carb dishes. This is crab legs and filet mignon, word for word, as we go through this text today. It's rich, it's beautiful. Jesus has some profound, life-shaping words for us today. Jesus, our treasure. Now, before we hear these words together, I want to give us some context for what's going on in the life of Jesus in this moment, because this is happening. The words we're about to hear today are happening the night before Jesus is about to be betrayed. This is a poignant and significant moment. He knows, as he's speaking to his disciples, these are some of the last words that he's going to give them before he is betrayed and killed. And so knowing this, Jesus is spending some time bringing some of his most important teaching, preparing them for a life where he's no longer physically present with them. And I don't know exactly what was going on in the moment that these words were spoken, where Jesus was geographically, but I like to imagine this, that Jesus is with his disciples and they're walking at night. The city of Jerusalem is quiet. They're on their way through the quiet of the streets to the garden of Gethsemane. And perhaps as they're walking together, Jesus and the disciples spot a beautiful grapevine as they're walking. Or maybe they were walking past the temple gates in the quiet of the city, and they walk past this beautiful, ornate, golden vine which went across the sanctuary to the temple in Jerusalem. I don't know exactly what happened in that moment, but there was a moment when Jesus was walking with his disciples. He was with them, and then he began to share these words with us today. So I want to invite you to stand up as we hear these words. We stand together every week as a church because we want to recognize these are the words of God that we're about to hear. God has breathed them out through his spirit to us, and we hear them today. So hear the words of Jesus. I am the true vine, and my father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I've spoken to you. Abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me you can do nothing. 
If anyone does not abide in me, he's thrown away like a branch and withers. And the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire and burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. By this, my father is glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. As the father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I've spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing. But I've called you friends. For all that I have heard from my father, I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide. So ask whatever, what, so whatever you ask the father in my name, he may give it to you. These things I command you so that you will love one another. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you for these words that we get to hear today. They're so beautiful, so rich, so wonderful, so full of mystery and wonder. And I pray that your spirit will be with us today and and would help bring these words alive, that they will be illuminated to us this morning, that we would have them come to bear on our lives and that our lives will bear fruit. And so would the spirit of the living God, Lord, would you be with us today as we open up your word together? Speak to us. I pray for soft hearts, open minds. God, would you speak this morning through your living word? We pray these things in your name. Amen. Amen. Please have a seat, everyone. Jesus begins, I am the true vine. And in verse 5, he again says, I am the vine and you are the branches. Now, I don't think many of us here in CA Church are overly familiar with viticulture, which is the cultivation and the harvesting of grapes. But the image here is parallel to that of a trunk of a tree and its branches. The branches of a tree draw all of their life, strength, and nutrients from being connected into the trunk. Jesus is painting a vivid picture here of what it means to be human that we are the branches. And it's through our constant connection to the life-giving vine of Jesus himself that we draw all that we need to flourish and grow. And he's pretty straight up about it. You see this in verse four, he says, as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. So he's being pretty clear. This is non-negotiable stuff. If we want to live a fruitful life, we must remain connected to the vine, which is Jesus himself. There's no, there's no room for the if, ands, and buts. This is a clear statement. And again, in this passage, Jesus emphasizes this reality again and again and again. I'm assuming that as you were listening and reading, you heard the word abide a lot. 11 times Jesus brings this command for us to abide. He's bringing it up again and again and again. And it's kind of an interesting word. Hey, we don't necessarily use the word abide that much. And some translations, you might have even had it in your Bibles today, translate the verb as remain, as remain or abide. As a theologian, Dale Bruner, and he explains that this word translated abide could also be translated as be at home with. 
So Jesus again and again in this text says, abide in me, remain in me, make your home in me. And we need to do this if we want to live a fruitful life, as Jesus says. And so what does this look like? What does this look like? How do we abide in the vine? How do we remain in Jesus? What does it look like to make our home in him? Well, today I want to explore three aspects of abiding with us today. Abiding by faith, abiding in relationship, and abiding with fruit. Let's start together by looking at this idea of abiding by faith. And we've got to start today by understanding something really essential about what it means to abide. And we have to get this, because if we don't, this text can quickly become a heavy weight on our lives and can lead us down some dangerous paths. We have to understand this. Abiding isn't something that we do for God, but rather it's believing and trusting and resting in what he has done for us. I want to say that again. Abiding isn't something that we do for God, but rather believing, trusting, and resting in what he has done for us. I want to read a beautiful verse in 1 John 4, 15 for us. It'll be on the screen. It says this, Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in him, and he is in God. I've got some news for you today, and it's good news. If you put your faith and trust in Jesus, if you have declared I need that guy. He has done for me what I couldn't do for myself. He's my Lord. He's my Savior. You are already abiding in the vine, okay? So good news. If you put your faith and trust in Jesus, you are already abiding. Because to abide in Jesus is to be united to Jesus. And that is something that God does for us. God himself is the one who unites us with Jesus. And it is through our faith in him that God does this. Look at what Jesus says in verse 3 of this passage, guys. It's so beautiful. He says, already you are clean. Why? Because of the word that I have spoken to you. Already you are clean because of the word I've spoken to you. This is profound. Jesus is saying, guys, you are now clean. You are now abiding. You are now brought in because of the words I've spoken to you. Now, Jesus has been going along and telling them, as we've seen all throughout the last few weeks, his proclamations about who he is and what he's done, that he is the resurrection of the life, that he is the door of the sheep, that he is the good shepherd. And the disciples, what have they done in response? They have believed it. They have confessed, as we just saw, that he is the Son of God. And so they have been made clean by believing and trusting that Jesus is who he says that he is. And I think Jesus is doing this because there's about to be a whole lot of discussion that we're going to look at in this text about being fruitful. And I know that Jesus is probably thinking about the disciples. They're going to be tempted to believe what we always ourselves are tempted to believe, that it is our fruit, it is the good things that we do that somehow make us worthy enough to be clean. That it's our fruitful life or the things that we bring to the table that are going to somehow be enough for God to look at us and count us worthy to be on his abiding team. That maybe we could do enough things in our life, we could be fruitful enough that God would say, you know what, now you're ready to abide. But friends, this is false. None of us are in the vine. None of us are welcomed into union with God because of the good things that we do. No, all of us have sinned. All of us have fallen short. And it is by God's grace and through being united with Jesus and his death and his resurrection that God brings us into the vine. This is good news for us this morning. 
The Apostle Paul lays it out this way in Ephesians 2. This is a famous passage. You might have heard it before. He says, But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, he made us alive together with Christ. By grace you've been saved and raised up with him and seated with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not as a result of works, so that no one may boast. To abide in Christ is, as Paul said, to be made alive together in Christ. To recognize that each and every one of us were lost in our sin. But God, out of his great love for us, came for us. He died a death that we deserve to die. He was raised to new life. And through our faith and trust that Jesus has done this on our behalf, we receive God's grace and we are united with him. It's interesting, the language of the true vine When Jesus says this, when he says, I'm the true vine, he's actually embodying this whole idea of grace. We've got to see this. In the Old Testament, Israel, the people of God, are frequently referred to as a vine. God calls them to be a vine. And the idea is that they would be God's representatives on earth, and through them, God would bring the fruit of a relationship with him to the world. But here's the problem. Almost every single time that they're mentioned as being the vine, it's in light of their failure. It's God saying, you were supposed to be a vine, but it didn't work out. The fruit that you brought, the grapes that you brought were rotten. And so when Israel is referred to as the vine in the Old Testament, it's always a reminder of their failure that they couldn't live up to what they were supposed to do. They couldn't live up to what they were called to do. And so when Jesus comes along and says, I am the true vine, He's redeeming Israel's failure. He's coming and saying, look, guys, you couldn't do it, but I'm coming to give you life and hope because I can. I can do it. I can be the Israel that you could never be. I can do what you never could. And through me, through being united to me, you can have hope to bring fruit once again. So when Jesus says, I am the true vine, do you know what he's essentially saying to us? I've got this and I've got you. I've got this and I've got you. You guys couldn't do it. You couldn't do it. We were dead in our sin. But through me, you can be united with me. You can be brought into relationship. You can remain in the vine. You can have union with God himself. He's offering a new way for us to be fruitful by putting our faith and our trust in him. Friends, we've got to start here today. We abide, we remain connected to Jesus by continually putting our trust in him, by looking to the one who says, I've got this and I've got you. Jesus has done all that is required for us to abide and we trust in him through faith. I love how one pastor I was reading put this. He said, if you understand the true meaning of abiding in Christ, it actually moves you away from doing something towards a place of rest trusting that he's the one who does what needs to be done. Do you know what this frees us from? This frees us from waking up tomorrow morning on a Monday and going, am I abiding today? I don't know. I think I was abiding on Friday. I had a pretty good abiding day on Wednesday, but I don't know if I'm abiding today. I need to do some more stuff so that I can abide. That's the heavy weight of the law, and we've been freed from that. 
We need to recognize that it is not on the basis of what we do that we get to abide. It's on the basis of what he has already done, friends. This frees us from this weight of having to be enough, do enough, bring enough to the table. Jesus says, I love you. I've done it. Receive it. It's a free gift of my grace. So you know why that's good news for us today? (laughs) Everyone's invited to be in God's family. Every single person here today, no matter what your life has looked like or it looks like presently, or the picture of the disaster that you think is ahead of you in your life, doesn't matter. All of us are invited to abide in Christ. All of us are welcome to have a seat at the table of God's family because of God's great love for us. And we receive that as a gift of his grace. And so each and every one of us today, in this moment, right here, can stop and say, God, I need you. I know I can't do it by myself, but I see that you've done it for me, and I want to receive that by faith. I confess that Jesus is the Son of God. I put my faith and my trust in you. Everybody gets to abide. Everyone's welcomed into the vine because of what Jesus has done, and we abide by faith. Secondly, I want to look at abiding in relationship. Now, guys, there's a dangerous idea that can creep into our faith, which is this, that the Christian life is all about a singular decision. Boom. I've said a sinner's prayer, and that's it. I've been saved from the bad place, and I've got the hellfire insurance, and so I'm just going to go on living my life. Great. Said a sinner's prayer, met a guy in 1982, told me to pray a prayer. I'm just going to go and live the rest of my life now. The thing is, guys, we haven't just been saved from something in the Christian life. No. We've been saved to something and for something, which is actually a relationship with the God who created us. You see, God isn't just interested in dealing with our sin for the sake of dealing with our sin. Because God has dealt with our sin, we now get to enjoy relationship with him. Because God is the creator who loves us. He's the lover of our souls. And with sin dealt with, we now get to enjoy relationship with God himself. Can I show us something in this text? text? Look at verse 15. Jesus says something pretty astounding. No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing, but I have called you friends. Just pause for a second. Jesus Christ just called you, Jesus Christ just called me friend. Not hired servant, but friend. Guys, God doesn't just tolerate us. He created us to have actual friendship and relationship with him. And this involves spending real time in relationship with Jesus. Look at this invitation from Jesus in verse 9. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. Again, this is one of those texts you just have to go back over what he just said. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. The love that God the Father has for the Son, Jesus has for us. We're talking Trinity-level love. That's the kind of love that God has for us through Jesus. And Jesus gives us a beautiful vision of the Christian life here, which is this. Jesus loves us. His love for us is perfect and unfailing. And what are we invited to do in response? Abide in that love. Make our life in that love. Put down roots and build a home in that love. You see, Jesus is talking about an ongoing life where we are orienting ourselves to receive and bask in the love that God has for us in Christ Jesus. 
As I was preparing for this sermon, I had two rooms in my head. I lived in Surrey and lived in a basement suite for a while. And it was one of those basement suites where, you know, I don't know if it was legal. I don't know. I'm, I'm assuming based on the lack of windows, it probably wasn't. Um, but it was dark. It was dark and it was dank. And there were days where I was studying, doing my uh, theology stuff, writing papers. And if I wasn't looking at the clock, I legitimately would have no idea what time of day it was because there was not a lick of sunlight coming into that place. So I'd have to just check the clock and be like, okay, the sun is still out there. I can believe that it's out there. I want to contrast that, the basement living, with the solarium, with the solarium. Okay, so a solarium is a purpose-built room that's designed to bring as much sunlight in as possible. It's the polar opposite of my basement, okay? This is what the solarium is. And I've just spent two weeks being back home in England with my family, and I have this picture of my great uncle who lives next door living the life in his solarium. Can I tell you about it? In his yard, he's got this building. It's this kind of, uh, I think, cedar, little mini kind of summer house. It's filled with glass, letting all the light. But here's the beautiful thing about it. You ready for this? It's built on a rotating disc so that he can orient that bad boy towards the sun at all hours of the day. So literally, no matter what time of day it is, my great uncle can bask in the sun, okay? He can just direct this thing. And that's what he does. God bless him. He's retired. He's a legend. And, and he'll often just be sitting there with the paper, and he's just orienting this thing to receive as much sunlight as possible. And I legitimately think that the Holy Spirit opened my eyes at that moment to say, that's a picture of what it looks like to abide in my love. We're not meant to live in the basement, guys. We're not supposed to live a life where we're just doing our own thing, hustling, squirreling away in darkness, kind of hoping, wondering, oh, I think God loves me. That was something I remembered five years ago. No, we're supposed to be in the solarium, living a life that is basking in the love of God and orienting our lives to continue to receive that love again and again and again. We're not built for the basement, guys. We're built for the solarium. So what does this actually look like? Well, there are actually a number of ways. Did you know this? There's a number of ways that God has given us, that God has designed for us to turn the solarium of our life towards him and to abide in his love, to receive his love, to bask in his love and enjoy friendship with him. Now, these are often called uh, the spiritual disciplines. But within the context of this passage, can we call them pathways of abiding? Pathways of abiding. God has designed specific ways that we can actually turn our lives to bask in his love. One of them is uh, mentioned here in the text. Jesus says this, there's a necessity if we want to abide in him for his words to abide in us. God has given us the written word as a way for us to abide in his love. Can I encourage us not to view Bible reading as a dry and a dusty duty? but as an invitation from the God who is the lover of our souls to abide in his love. That as we open these living words, the spirit of the living God is with us, actively with us. As we open and read these words to allow the love of God to reign, to shine over us in and through the living word. So we abide in the word because it is in and through the word that God's love is made known to us. We bask in his love through the living word word. As Jesus says, we need to allow his words to abide in us. Jesus also mentions prayer in this 
in this passage. And prayer is a time where we come before God with our requests, absolutely, but also a time where we come before God and we open our hearts to hear from Him. Contemplation, quiet, listening to the still, small leading of the Spirit. And it is a life of prayer that opens us up once again to abide in the love of God. It's in these times that God shines, pours out His love on us as we're turning the solarium of our life towards him in these moments. And now there are many, many others. And I'm really glad to say there's actually a whole sermon series on spiritual disciplines on our website, which you can go and find if you're wanting to learn more. But we have fasting and we have Sabbathing and we have serving, these different ways that God has designed for us to commune with him. And then not just as individuals, but as The body, God has given us corporate ways of abiding, ways that we together turn the solarium towards him to bask in his love. And we're doing them today. Did you know that when we got together and we sang this morning, God designed singing as a way for us to receive and experience his love? He did. It wasn't our idea. It was God's idea. Did you know that as we come together and we open up week after week and sit under the preaching of God's word, this is something that God himself has designed where we can encounter him. He is here by his spirit and we can again bask in his love. The fellowship, the prayer that's going to happen after the service These are all ways that God has given us to turn the solarium of our lives towards him and receive of his love. As we witness baptisms, as we partake in communion, these are ways of experiencing his love together. And so friends, what I want to encourage us to see today is that God calls us his friends. And part of abiding in Christ is to have the security that my abiding is based on what Jesus has already done for me and I receive it by faith. But now that I'm in the vine, I'm connected to the God who loves me, who wants to pour out his heart towards me. And my invitation now is to turn my life, to direct my life towards God in relationship, spending real time with him to receive of his love. And Jesus modeled this, didn't he? If we look at the life of Jesus, he was continually withdrawing from the activity of his day to spend time with his father, abiding, modeling a life of prioritizing intentional, set-apart time in relationship with his heavenly father. We so often don't approach our relationship with God this way. It's easy for it to stay theoretical. Let me just illustrate with a, a real human kind of face-to-face relationship. One of my really good friends is called Evan. And I'm actually really excited about that. Like, if I think about the fact that Evan's my friend, that gets me excited because he's a great guy, and I just love that Evan's my friend. You know, it really just fills my heart with so much joy that Evan's my friend that I actually might start writing some songs about it. You know, might start writing some poetry about it, doing a little bit of journaling about how great it is that Evan's my friend. You know, I might even get so excited about Evan that I run out onto the streets of Coquitlam and I start telling people, I'm like, Sam, Jolly, I've got to tell you something. Evan's my friend. He's great. He's really good. But I can do all of those things without ever spending a second of my day with Evan. 
I can talk about my friendship. It can be a theoretical, wonderful idea in my head, and it can bring me some joy. But you know what? I can do all of that without actually spending time with my friend, Evan. And I think you know where I'm getting at here. We haven't been brought into the vine to enjoy a theoretical relationship with God. No, actual ongoing friendship, relationship with God, where we turn our lives towards him. He pours out his love on us. We abide in faith. We abide in relationship. And finally, I want to look at abiding with fruit. Now, Jesus makes it really clear in this passage what will happen in our lives if we abide in him. When we abide... When we remain, we make our home in Jesus by putting our faith and trust in him. He's the one who could do what we never could do. When we expose our lives to the warmth of his unfailing love, this is what Jesus says. He says, you will bear fruit. Look at verse 5. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. Can we be encouraged this morning once again from this wonderful text, friends? If you've put your faith and trust in Jesus, if you're looking to him in faith, God is at work in you to bring fruit out of your life. As you're holding on to Jesus, as you're looking to Jesus, as you're putting your trust in him, God is at work in us beneath the surface to bear fruit in us. And what kind of fruit are we talking about here? Galatians 5. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. These are the characteristics of Jesus Christ himself. And so as we remain connected to Jesus through our faith in him, as we orient our life to receive and bask in his love, God is at work to shape us to become people who look like Jesus, live like Jesus, love like Jesus gradually being transformed from the inside out to look like him. There's an amazing moment in Acts chapter 4 where the crowd witnesses some boldness in the life of Peter and John, two of Jesus' closest followers, and they came to this wonderful conclusion. They said, these men must have been with Jesus. These men must have been with Jesus. There was something about their life. There was something about their faith that said there's only one thing, only one source where that could come from, being connected to Jesus himself. I love spending time with older Christians, men and women who have pursued a life of faithfulness to Jesus for decades, who have continually over season and season said, I'm going to put my faith and trust in Jesus. I love, I love, I love spending time with them. And part of what you get to see is this reality lived out in their life, walking, talking, displays of this reality that as they have continued to trust in Jesus, he has been at work in their life. As they have prioritized friendship and relationship, basking in the love of Jesus, he has been at work in their life. And now the fruit of that It's so evident and obvious, and I get to serve with so many of them here at this church. You just get around these wonderful, precious brothers and sisters in Christ, and you can see how their life and what they prioritize and how they've held on to Jesus has brought terrific fruit in their life. And they are looking more and more like Jesus each day. Jesus also shares in this text another way that God bears fruit in our lives. Would you look at me, uh, look with me in verse one and two? He says, my father is the vine dresser. 
Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. There's a man on my street where I live in Pitt Meadows, and he spends almost every minute of sunlight outside in his front yard, tending to one of the most beautiful gardens, I think, in Pitt Meadows. Just stunning levels of foliage and flowers. And literally, he's there tending these things absolutely every day, without fail, and as I drive past, give him a wave. It's beautiful. I remember one of the first years I was living there, coming back one week, expecting to see, as I always do on the right-hand side, this beautiful, wonderful garden. But as I did, every single flower had been cut back. All the bushes had been trimmed. Pruning had taken place. And it kind of looked disappointing. You know, going from this incredible, amazing foliage, this beautiful thing to, ah, it's all cut back and it doesn't look the same. But then I was realizing, well, the reason he's doing that is because he's preparing this for the beauty that's going to come next season. And as he prunes this back and readies it by cutting away some of this, it's getting it ready for greater beauty, for greater glory next year. And I've been enjoying that greater glory this summer as I drive past every day. Now, Jesus is telling us something about what God does in the midst of difficult and painful moments in our lives. Jesus is saying that God, in the midst of our difficulties and pain, is at work to prune us in order that we would grow and bear more fruit. Paul speaks of this reality in Romans. just want to read this text to us. He says in Romans 5, We rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance. Endurance produces character, and character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame, because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit, who's been given to us. I'm sure many of us in this room can look back on the difficult, often painful moments of our lives and trace how God was able to use those things to grow and to shape us, to prepare us to bear more fruit in our life, to deepen things, to plant things in those moments in our lives that would allow us to bear greater fruit in the future. So I just want to remind us today that staying connected to Jesus, being in the vine, doesn't mean that we're going to experience a life free of suffering and pain. Being in the vine doesn't mean that we're promised a life of comfort. But because we are in the vine, there's not one second of our life where we will ever be alone. Jesus Christ himself connected his life-giving love, always flowing into our lives, whatever we are going through. He's right there with us, and his sustaining power of his love will hold us. Finally, when it comes to abiding, I want us to see that the fruit that God bears in our life, the fruit of abiding with him, becoming more like him, God's work to bear fruit in our lives is about more than just us. I want to look at verse 9 again. Read these words with me. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I've spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full. Now listen to this. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, than someone lay down his life for his friends. As we abide in Jesus, as we hold on to him, continuing a life of putting our faith and trust in him, and orienting our lives to receive his love and enjoy friendship with him, 
God is at work within us to shape a sacrificial love for others. And we're called to pour this love out on others. To abide in Jesus is to soak in his love, to experience the sacrificial love for Jesus in us, but not for that just to stay within us, but then to be poured out on others as a way to display to the world who God is like, that God would use his love in our lives to be poured out on others that many may come to know this love for themselves. God is longing to shape us to be a people that reflect his love to the world and show others what he is like. Have you ever had a moment when your hands are freezing and someone notices and they just put that warm hand around yours and instantly there's that, that feeling of just, oh, you know, you get that feeling of, of, of the warmth flowing through their hand into us. That's the picture of this life of abiding, that as our lives are warmed by the fire of God's love, as we are transformed into people who love sacrificially, as God bears fruit in us, we would then go out into the world to find cold hands, and we would love them with the same love that we have been receiving from God himself when we first put our trust in him until this day. There's a simple question for you. Is there anyone in your life right now with cold hands who need warming? And so, abiding by faith, we believe and trust that Jesus has done what we never could do. We abide in the vine by being united with Jesus through his work on our behalf. To abide is to continue to believe in Jesus, trust in Jesus, that he is who he says he is. Abiding in relationship. We're invited by Jesus who calls us his friends to orient our lives around spending time receiving his love for us, turning the solarium of our lives towards him in relationship and abiding with fruit as we stay connected to him, as we expose our lives to him. God is at work by his spirit to bear fruit in us, to shape us to be a people that look and love like Jesus, that carry the warmth of his love to a cold and dying world that needs the light of the world. I'm the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Let's pray. Jesus, what, a, what an incredible reality that we get to abide in you. What wondrous love you have for us that you would lay down your life and offer us forgiveness Offer us union with you, that now our lives are united with you through your death and your resurrection, and that you call us friends. That every person in this room can look to you in faith and know that you call us friends. God, I pray that we will be a people who abide rather than hide. We recognize that you are not a God that we need to hide from, but you are a God who draws us in, that you pour out your love and mercy on us so richly. So if there's anyone here who's hiding rather than abiding, would today be the time they run back into your arms of grace, turning from sin, running to you. And God, we recognize that we attach ourselves to other vines all the time. Lord, we look to things to be the ultimate source of nutrients and meaning in our life. We want to cut those things off because it is you alone, you alone where we will find life everlasting. So God, would you remove those vines, open our eyes to see where we've attached ourselves to things that will not lead to life. Help us to run after you alone. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen.
Thanks for listening to this message. If you've been listening to our sermons, but you're not a part of a church community, we would love to have you join us. You can go to cachurch.ca to find out more about getting involved in the life and mission of CA Church.